How's it going, everyone? I'm your host, Drake Foley, and welcome to the Weather or Not podcast. This week, we're going to bring you something special uh, with a special guest from Apex Storm, Donovan Neal. But first, I want to talk about some stuff that we had this last uh, weekend. So me and some of the other Suscore members traveled down to Texas, and we went on our first chase of 2021. Um, the Panhandle is not the most fun place in the world. Um, I definitely would like to, you know, say that. But we saw a lot of cool weather while there. We saw our first tornado. It was a beautiful rope tornado. It was more of a spin-up, I guess you could say. But it was very good, nice looking. Although it got rain-wrapped. But minutes later, it became a confirmed tornado in the area of Groom, Texas. We also saw... Uh, a rain-wrapped wedge. Like, it was in front of us, but we didn't, like, see it. But it on radar, it was right in front of us. We didn't figure that out till later. But um, it was a pretty good, you know, time. Other than that, there was also a severe weather outbreak in Alabama. A tornado outbreak, to be exact. I believe they're at 40-plus confirmed tornadoes now. Which is pretty insane because a lot of people were calling the weather a bust. And I couldn't consider any weather system a bust as long as it produces weather. And for a high risk, a lot of the tornadoes were in that area. And although my co-host Colin isn't here right now, he will be in here during the interview. And we will get to hear some of his thoughts about the weather and as well as our special guest Donovan Neal. So I will be back with you on the flip side. Welcome back to the Weather or Not podcast. I'm your host, Drake, along here with my co-host, Colin, and we have a special guest today. Yes, we have Donovan Neal from the Apex Storm forecasting team from SMU University, from Dallas, from Arlington. How are you doing? I'm doing quite all right. I'm uh, very, very ecstatic to be in a uh, in a podcast environment because it's been it's been about four years since I've done I've been a guest in another podcast. So I'm glad to be doing this again. Yeah, we're really glad to have you because I mean, you and I have been friends for a little bit now, and and we do obviously uh, the Apex Storm stuff together. So I, I'm excited to just kind of talk with you a little bit and and get some of your takes on student forecasting and and forecasting in general, and just providing some unique insight to the weather community. Well, I've got a cousin named Unique, so I mean, <laughs> it's in, it runs in my blood. So that's one of, that's one of the things I really love about um, uh, just weather forecasting in general is that you can, um, uh, is that you can experiment with your own avenue, with your own avenues within reason, of course, but yeah. I just, the uniqueness of of it yeah so just uh go ahead just like just tell i guess everyone who's listening just a little bit about yourself um and kind of i guess how you got into weather uh and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, apex storm sure well um first off i think every i think it is important that everyone knows that <laughs> i am a music major um i'm a double <laughs> major actually at Southern Methodist University. So of course not majoring in meteorology, but I still maintain my weather for forecasting products. Um, I, of course, um, I, I play bassoon. I've been doing so for almost 10 years, almost 10 years now. And my, uh, um, my interest in weather has expanded 
beyond the 10 year mark. Of course, um, everyone has that, um, has the typical story of when they were younger, um, they were like really, really intrigued by um, just a random thunderstorm that, that just coincidentally happened to be there at the Walmart parking lot, and ever since that, they decided to the like weather and meteorology, or maybe just like a certain tornado event that uh, they went through, that their region went through on a specific day when they were young, and of course that um, that planted a seed, and that seed happened to blossom in their teenage, high school, and college years. Well, I'm a part of um, I I guess what you call that typical crowd. Um, I've been interested in, when, in weather since um, I was in Abilene way back when. And of course, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really start to take it real seriously until um, at a very young age, um, when I was 13, eighth grade, eighth grade in middle school, um, that's when I started doing that's when I really started doing uh, forecasts for, you know, my cl- the, my class and my friends and everything. Um, it, walk down the hall, they ask uh, what the weather is. I usually um, do a good job of telling them. Um, but uh, I really didn't get into the social media forecasting um, uh, section until really until really uh, freshman year high school, which almost four which is pretty much four four years ago. And that's when I started. Uh, that's when I uh, created the uh, Apex uh, WX website and uh, my Twitter handle. And now I'm on Facebook. And um, I used to do Texas weather discussion videos, which is uh, very similar to uh, the ABC 3340's uh, weather extreme videos that James Spann does um, every weekday. Um, right. We did that for quite some for quite some time, and did the daily forecasts at um, uh, and of course um, when I whenever I did that, I uh, was very busy in high school. So I the only time I did that was in the early morning hours, and I would wake up at around. 4 4 30 in the morning to um get these to get those products out to people and um i think that is a great thing to learn in this if you're uh, majoring if any of the any uh high school or college students that are wanting to wanting to major or is in the atmospheric science or meteorology business is um if you want to be really really good at what you do you just have to learn to live uh, without a lot of sleep. And by that, I mean getting up very early and getting up very early in, in the morning uh, to start your day. Because um, if you're doing, a, if you're like me, doing like a million things at a time, then um, you barely have time to, um, you barely have time to maintain that. So um, you, you're pretty much working for <laughs> pretty much most of the day. And um, that was, that was my life during high school and um, that's transitioned to college now and I wouldn't have it any other way to be honest. Yeah. And, that, and like, I, I know that's one of the things that's, it's been a little bit of a struggle for me whenever I do forecasting or, or anything that has to do with like a big social media presence is I'm someone who is very comfortable with waking up around noon or <laughs> around those times and I can build my schedules to where that works. So like, being able to put out a forecast in the morning is something that I definitely like struggle with and definitely like have to be way more vigilant to myself about. And after I'm listening to a lot of broadcast meteorologists talk about stuff in the field and stuff that they really um, didn't know before they were entering in the weather business is that 
for meteorologists, um, especially broadcast meteorologists, your hours are going to be unconventional. You're going to be going to the studio at 4 a.m. recording a morning, you know, forecast thing, and then you might be done with work by noon, and then the rest of your day is kind of like your off time and stuff like that. Uh, and then there's also the fact that weather obviously doesn't constrict to time. You can have severe weather events at you know noon, or you can have severe weather events at 3 a.m. in the morning. And those broadcast meteorologists have to be there on site doing their forecasting and doing their um, weather events overnight at these really weird hours. That's one of those things that's like, it's definitely something that a lot of people don't, I think, take into account when they think about a lot of meteorology fields. And then I think about a lot of meteorology careers and positions is that you have a lot of those weird hours. And it's a it's definitely a, a task to be able to adapt to those. Yeah, um, just like the, just like what, um with your old pal James Spann says, um, commonly says, I haven't slept since uh, 1974 uh, because that's <laughs> really, um, that, that's uh, that's when he was referring to the super outbreak of 1974 uh, when he was, uh, he actually worked that, you know, worked that event when he was a senior in high school. And that really kind of defined uh, what he, really kind of defined his uh, career on forward because his, at that point, his main priority was to was to protect um, was to protect and save lives of as many people as possible. Whether that was in a major metropolitan area or if it's in a rural community, and that's one of the things that I I like about I really um, I like about him and what other people what other meteorologists and forecasters in this field don't really get and that it gets very irritating you know some of these uh, major major news stations here especially here in north texas um if you have like a severe thunderstorm warning or a tornado warning that's in effect for a portion of the of the metroplex of course they are on air and they do wall-to-wall coverage but as soon as it leads the major metropolitan area they go back to the bachelor or the freak of the week or whatever they put on television anymore i don't know i yeah. don't watch regular cable anymore but uh I think one of the I think uh, the thing uh, back to what you were saying is um, is um, one of the things that would uh, behoove of you or any um, meteorology student that wants to go into that wants to have a job in the National Weather Service or uh, in broadcast meteorology uh, eventually on their way to do severe weather coverage is learn to learn of course learn to live. Uh, without a lot of sleep, um, work work a regular hours. Force your force your body to um, uh, don't torture itself, but uh, force your body to get out of the habit of um, waking up at noon or try to try to be up like late at night. Sometimes very early in the morning. Uh, just just a a plethora do a plethora of different sleep schedules that way. Uh, when you're older in life and have to do um, on-air work after uh, after midnight or in the pre-dawn hours, like you mentioned, um, it doesn't throw your whole body out, and you're more acclimated to um, it, to being committed to do that type of stuff. Yeah, I I completely like like the whole aspect of that. I kind of see like how you have to adjust your body, and I like how you brought up like. James Spann and how he hasn't slept since like 1974. 
there's a lot of important aspects, I guess, about broadcast meteorology or like forecasting that people don't really understand. And right, exactly. Um, something that like I'm glad you brought up because a lot of times, you know, you just see them on certain days of the week, but that doesn't mean that they don't work in their off time either. You know, exactly. Yeah, and, and a lot of that also can be applied to people who do forecasting outside of a major news network or outside of professional meteorology that, you know, a lot of times, like, you do have to adjust your schedule around the weather instead of, you know, trying to force the weather to adjust around your schedule. But um, that, that's one of those things that I, I definitely wanted to, like, bring up to you, Donovan, is, like, um, especially with the growing presence of Twitter and the growing presence of social media, you are seeing more and more um, student forecasting accounts and student forecasting um, and just, uh, I guess, amateur forecasting being put into the spotlight and stuff like that. And I can, you know, recall, you know, Apex being one of the first ones that I ever saw, you know, being on Twitter and stuff like that. And one of the ones that was the most influential to me Um and so it's like, what, how do you like, I guess I'm trying to ask you is like, how important is um, not only student forecasting, you know, to you, but also like, what are some of the like risks and dangers of that amateur forecasting compared to professional forecasting that you don't think gets touched down a lot or that you kind of want to like bring up because of just the growing presence of it on social media? Yeah, so uh, let me address each one of you your questions in order in the order that you that you asked. Okay. Uh, so, to me, student forecasting, um, especially for people for people my age, is uh, I think that is uh, very 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 important that um, student forecasting is brought in a is uh, met with a positive uh, in a more positive light. Uh, where people are, people are there to support each other and help one another um, get better and learn how to um, and learn how to create uh, more credible forecasts with time, so that way they can build rapport um, within their within their respective um, uh, regions and markets and communities. And you never know who might be who might be reading your products. I mean, yeah, people all across the world on these social media platforms. So um, I, so that's why I think it is very, very crucial that you, especially if you want to consider doing this um, seriously, that you present yourself, uh, present yourself in a light that is um, very professional and is helping um, foster growth within not only within yourself, but um, kind of those other people that uh, might be in your community. And that's why it is very important um, to consider. Um, and I know like the whole uh, weather Twitter is, um, it can be very, very helpful for a lot of young, inspiring forecasters and meteorologists, and scientists, but it can be very, it can be a turnoff and very detrimental uh, to one's to one's mental health whenever uh, whenever there's there's like drama or anything anything negative uh, within within that community and and of course I don't really get involved with that because I don't have time for that. But mm-hmm. one thing that I one one thing that I do want to put out there is. Um, Whenever you're critiquing someone's um, forecasts or someone's products, um, consider consider a bit of kindness 
um, whenever whenever you're critiquing that because you don't just like with um, just like with anyone like you don't know what that person that specific person that's putting those product that's uh, putting their products out there um, is going through and that whole that that ties into the whole thing of um, another point I want to bring up is that um, a lot of people don't really consider this but in the and when we're in uh, broadcast meteorology or social media forecasting or student forecasting um, we are in the service industry and that being said um, it's very very important to have a, a to have a want to to want to serve others and I call it having a a servant's heart and right. um, we're constantly the whole thing with social media is that we're constantly evolving especially in terms of weather Twitter and meteorology and forecasting on social media platforms. You know, nobody's going to. Uh, nobody nowadays is. They're not going to stay up until uh, ten at night, uh, trying to uh, trying to watch some blow dried boob on television uh, to tell them what the weather is. Most people right. are going to get the information that they want on their smartphones, and we have to be very, very accommodating for those people. And if you if you have that if you don't have that uh, mindset that we're that you're in that you're truly in it to serve people rather than rather than to just entertain your own entertain your own um, mind adrenaline during these big severe weather days then um, you have no hope and I would advise you to not be uh, to not be in this business and. <clears throat> and another thing I want to, I don't. Another thing I want to uh, bring up too is that uh, I said something about big severe weather events. Um, this goes on to the second part of your question of uh, of some of the downsides that come with um, social media forecasting. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. There's a there's a lot of um, really good weather pages out there that are that are always that always just want to be white everyone's right and we was like we're right and this page is wrong do not trust do not trust this page and i get it it's a very competitive it's a very competitive thing to do um i was very I, i'm still very competitive and i think that's a, a thing among men where we have these this competitive this competitive mindset to be number one and win all win all these awards and try to get the most recognition and right. that's especially true in the in the teenage years but now that i'm uh, that now that i'm a bit older um i realize that in the weather enterprise it's very very important it's extremely important during, especially during big severe weather days or hurricanes or winter weather or any type of weather extreme. It's very, very important for, for um, all of the forecasters and meteorologists to to be on the same page. Yeah, we might not communicate the message the same way, but it's very, very important for us to um, to be on the same page and. Um, 
I know people, I know people just like want our, or just, I know some pages, it's just, they just want to be number one and they want to create a whole bunch of advertisements and say, uh, we're, we're the number one trusted source and we are the, um, we are the first ones to predict Hurricane Dorian and Hurricane Laura nearly spot on um, before anyone else did. And, and quite honestly, I don't care about that stuff. All I care about right. is making sure everyone in, in this business communicates the same uh, message to, to the public, communicate the same, Im the same level of impacts that the that any type of weather extreme uh, might bring to the respective community that they're um, that that they're mentioning. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a really really good point there because there is a little bit of clout chasing, for lack of a better term, that does happen with a lot of these you know um, groups and with these you know forecasting teams and with even independent forecasters themselves who focus more on, you know, trying to be the best than they do about the greater collective whole of what forecasting is all about, which is providing as much opportunity for the general public to understand what's happening with weather. Because the biggest thing about weather is that it is often and always unpredictable. And you will get things right, you know, every now and then, like, like spot on every now and then, but that is more luck more of the time than it is genuine skill, you know, and that like, there, there are so many times where you can be as accurate as you possibly can be and still not be fully correct. And that's one of those things that like failure, in essence, brings, you know, a better accuracy in the future, because you'll look at one event, and you'll fail really hard on it. But then that allows you to be able to learn from that and get better at forecasting with that. And I think a lot of people take that as weakness and don't take that as room to grow and actually room to improve on your forecasting instead take that as competition in a negative way and so like it, it's just it, it's one of those things about like just maturity and about um realizing that if you're going to be in the business of forecasting and you're going to be in the business of the service industry when it comes to weather you kind of have to take a hold and and kind of um really realize that like it's about protecting people and it's about creating the best product you can create yourself to educate people and to get people just talking about the weather or looking at the weather and get prepared because you know it doesn't really matter you know if you get you know like for instance like if there's like a severe tornado outbreak similar to the one that we had a couple of days ago in alabama it doesn't matter if you only get 25 storms and there's a couple ef2s and ef3s or if all of those are ef5s no matter what, all of those have the power to do damage, and that's a lot of stuff. So it's not really like, oh, well, I called this is going to be a bust, or I didn't call this is going to be a bust, so I'm better, or I'm not better, or like, I got to do this, but you didn't do that. It's like, that's not what this is about. What this is about is, given our resources, we were able to come up with forecasts and cover the weather to an audience that might not have cable, or to an audience that might not listen to TV meteorologists or watch TV meteorologists or any of that kind of stuff. And on a, that point, Colin, I kind of want to add, like, the I feel like for this high risk, everybody was kind of on edge and, you know, issuing everybody about it. And you would see it everywhere. I feel like a lot of lives were saved. Like, I mean, I don't remember there being any, like, casualty reports at all. Yeah, there wasn't from, a single one. And that, I think, comes from the fact that meteorology and, like, broadcasting and your forecasts are also widely, like, been a, being able to be found. Like, I know that Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram. Like I know that we put out some forecasts and I know I've seen some like on Twitter that a lot of people had put out forecasts and I feel like those being able to get out to the general public saved a lot of lives along with, you know, the meteorologist on TV. Wednesday was uh, like the, the weather communications Wednesday is just was a massive, a massive win. Um, in the weather, in the weather enterprise, especially in in the deep south in Alabama, because um, if you recall, um, if you recall, and uh, on April twenty seventh, twenty eleven, um, sixty two tornadoes touched down in Alabama, and two hundred and fifty two people died, and that was the last time a forty five percent hatched area was issued for for that region in Alabama. Now, I'm not saying to compare these the, the, to compare a Wednesday to April twenty seventh per se, but Wednesday had the potential to be um, the worst outbreak that region has faced since April 27th, and the, just the fact that we were able to we were able to get through that high risk outbreak, that hatched area without any confirmed fatalities as a direct result from the tornadoes is absolutely awesome, and and that tell and that tells me that. Um, the social science uh, research um, that has been conducted in that area since April 27th um, has paid off. It has clearly paid off. People are getting the message because um, we saw this um, effect instantaneously, the effects of this social science research in the meteorology enterprise um, instantaneously. In 2011, the false alarm ratio um, from the National Weather Service in Birmingham was at 80%. In 2014, they were able to cut that down uh, in half to 40%. And now, like seven seven years seven years later, um, it, that number is much much lower. Uh, so this is just a sign of real real progress. And another example of that uh, of real pr progress in the weather enterprise. Um, one of the things we learned from the super outbreak is a lot of those lives could have been saved if they had if people had a helmet in addition to being there in their safe place because a lot of people that die um, from tornadoes as we're finding is they die from blunt force trauma to the skull region so if they have like, right. a cheap bicycle helmet from um, walmart or target or your local academy that can that can potentially save a life. And it's not just for kids too. It's for teenagers, adults, your grandma, every, everyone. They have like a helmet that can potentially save save lives. But um, that's a, that's, I still consider that a win in the weather enterprise that um, with the whole helmet situation, um, there are many stores in um, central Alabama that were completely sold out of helmets. And, that was just a, such a relieving fact that people uh, were listening to the forecast, listening to the forecast products, getting the message, um, listening to their local meteorologists, and I consider that uh, uh, that we've uh, that we've we've come a long way. And of course, um, that doesn't take away to, that doesn't take away to what happened in South Central Alabama or in Southwest Alabama. Uh, people call it uh, people call this that call this event a quote-unquote bust don't know the real human suffering uh the real human suffering that happened in places like um, places like chilton chilton county um there are there were some people while we're thankful that like 
there are no fatalities in Alabama on yet yes on Wednesday, and um, a lot of people got the warning. There are some people that lost their home and and childhood, and there are some people mm-hmm. that have been on this earth for many many decades, and they were prepared as they can be. They lost their house and they lost their home childhood right then and there. Especially in right. South Chilton County and Moundville and all these and all of these other places, they there was still real human suffering in these rural communities of Alabama, and that's what people that's what people don't get is just because just because there wasn't a major tornado go through the go through downtown Tuscaloosa or downtown Birmingham or any of these major cities. Uh, doesn't take away from the fact that there was still real human suffering that real human suffering that day, and we need to be very, very sensitive and cognizant of that fact. Yeah, and 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 like, because I I totally agree. Like, especially just like there were so many people that were like, you know, I can't believe we broke the high risk streak with that. You know, like I didn't deserve a high risk, but you kind of think about like. You know, especially back before I was really into severe weather at all, which is actually relatively recently, but, like, I would see, oh, there's an enhanced risk, meh, typical day, you know, like, oh, there's just normal storms and stuff like that. But if I saw a high risk, I'd be like, oh, crap, I need to prepare. I need to make sure I have a plan in place. And so, like, yes, maybe there weren't, like, you know, there probably weren't any major tornadoes, you know, above an EF3. I mean, I, I haven't seen any storm reports or stuff like that, but I, I seriously doubt that there are any, you know, EF5s or any EF4s, or else we would probably be talking about it and stuff like that. And there might have only been, you know, between 20 to 30 storms that, or tornadoes that were actually on the ground. But, you know, you think about what that environment was capable of producing. It, that's more of a luck thing, that we got really lucky that there weren't more tornadoes on the ground. And that still doesn't discount the fact that there were a lot of tornadoes on the ground. I remember I was in a programming class, and at one point, there were 12 tornado warnings at once. And that is something I've never seen before. That is a lot of tornado warnings. And even if two or three of those only produced a tornado, the other 10 of those could have produced a tornado. They could have produced a sizable tornado. Some of those went over major cities and stuff like that, too. So just because luck was on our side doesn't mean the high risk wasn't necessary i mean especially like the fact that you know helmets were sold out some of the stores and stuff like that that's a testament to people paying attention to the high risk and people being like this is has the potential to be dangerous so let's get everything we can in place and that's probably a lot of reasons why there weren't any fatalities from this is the fact that everyone was prepared right and um just and just to just to go off like the whole technicality of a high risk and what defines a tornado outbreak um any if you have any anywhere over a dozen tornadoes just a dozen tornadoes um that is still considered a a tornado that's still considered a tornado outbreak and that's what a high risk severe weather a tornado outbreak is expected um and the last and you don't have to, and my point is, you don't have to have like 64 or 78 tornadoes um, on in a 24-hour time span uh, for a high risk to con- to be considered "quote unquote" verified. Um, no, of course, uh, of course, you have like the um, the uh, the Super Tuesday outbreak, uh, the April 14th, 2012 outbreak, and the and other uh, other I consider 
anomaly um, high-risk days that like really, really verified and would, and the atmosphere was just super prime. But other high-risk days are to not be discounted too. I remember the last high-risk day that um, the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex experience was um, April was April of 2007, I believe. And I, uh-huh. I do believe that that event did produce enough tornadoes to be classified as a, as a tornado outbreak. While it did not produce um, like strong tornadoes per se, it, it still, that event still produced, um, uh, produced tornadoes. And that's, a, that's another thing. Um, high risk days are not just issued uh, just because the parameters are off the chart. Um, some, uh, in some cases, a high risk may be issued for a an area because there is there is high confidence that there will be a life that that will be there will be a life threatening emergency that will happen in that in in these regions and this was especially true in central mississippi because i know a lot of these communities in deep in the deep south especially in mississippi are low income areas do not are low income area income areas that do not have the luxury the, the luxury of having a a designated tornado shelter or a designated yeah, sure. safe safe place um, in their home, and a lot of those also don't have the requisite resources to get um, uh, uh, warnings on on social media or on their phones or or whatnot, and that's and those were the those that was the reason why and i talked to you about this before uh before the event colin that mm-hmm. i was worried sick that there was going to be a humanitarian uh, a kind of a mass casualty <laughs> incident in these in these low income areas because right, yeah. a lot of them have not uh, don't have a really great of homes that don't have really great foundation and also those that have mobile homes and don't get me wrong mobile homes are really great affordable places to live but there uh, you cannot stay in a mobile home during a tornado and it doesn't take a strong uh, it really doesn't take a strong tornado to completely destroy a mobile home i've seen in many cases where ef1 high end ef1 ef2s um, completely destroy mobile homes and cause a whole bunch of is- issues and even some fatalities here and there um, right, exactly. That that in a, in and of itself, and and plus the fact that we would see tornadoes that will, that was, had the potential to be twice that intensity going through these same low income areas that would be absolutely destroyed by um, these EF one EF twos or had the potential to be at least. Um, that was the very worrying factor, and we have to and we have to as a weather community or weather enterprise do a better job of reaching these low income low income areas get weather radios in their homes because like the cell service may be bad in these low income areas but the weather radio the no weather radio doesn't operate on the, the they don't operate on the on the cell network they operate on their no on their own network and that way right. in the middle of the light uh you get the alert a loud alarm snap sounds and you can check the television to ascertain your your situation and a lot of low-income areas don't really have that and that's one of the things that i really i really want to see uh change in the 
whether enterprise is that we need to do we need to be more committed to it, to the rural areas because i mean i grew up in a, a relatively rural part and and that's texas i mean i wouldn't I, I don't know if you consider Abilene rural, but rural enough, rural enough. Uh, yeah, exactly. So a lot. So that's my hope is that we can get, um, we can get a, we can better prepare, uh, the lower the people that are in lower income areas. Right, and and that's one of those things that like, um, yeah, as someone who's like really um a big climate change activist and stuff like that, and actually maybe I don't want to call myself an activist because there's not. I don't have like a big portfolio of activists, but someone who's very um, progressive on climate change is that people kind of often ask me like, how does climate change really tie into a lot of the inequalities that, you know, the country's facing right now and that a lot of areas are facing right now. And I think this is a prime example of it. And like why we were so worried about this outbreak compared to maybe a high risk over Kansas or a high risk over Oklahoma is while both places have rural areas and stuff like that, you know, the rural areas in Kansas and Oklahoma and stuff like that tend to be a lot of farms and that kind of stuff. Um, but those aren't necessarily low income farms. Those are just farms that are all spread apart and stuff like that. And, and that's not to say that those re areas don't have low income areas, but the density and the prevalence of low income areas in the deep south is extremely higher than areas around here. Just, you know, you do to uh, it being an older region due to the scars of, of years of racism and slavery due to a lot of um, factors that go into that. And so with climate change, you're seeing this sort of shift into where the Dixie Alley and the Deep South is becoming more of a hotspot for tornadoes than the old Tornado Alley is. And, and that's a big reason why climate change is so devastating and why there needs to be a lot of work to stop climate change and a lot of climate justice is because you're seeing this shift from a place that has spent years and years being able to handle these tornadic outbreaks and be able to bounce back against tornado outbreaks. I mean, because, I mean, you see more Oklahoma. More Oklahoma has been hit by so many EF5s and so many EF4s and EF3s and that, like, you know, this kind of area where I'm at right now in OKC is so prepared for these storms to keep happening because that's what we've been growing up with. That's what everyone around here has been growing up with for decades. But the Deep South, not as much. You don't get as many tornadoes there, at least in the past. But now, because climate change is ravaging our planet so much, you're seeing the shift of the alley kind of over there. It, it might not necessarily be confirmed, but you're kind of seeing it to where that's becoming the new hotspot for tornadoes. And unfortunately, those low-income areas aren't able to, you know, as you said, aren't able to be as prepared due to structural inequalities with their houses and all that kind of stuff and poverty and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's really important that, you know, we realize climate change is a big existential threat because it does factor into a lot of these inequalities through the shifting of weather patterns to, you know, and if this isn't the weather, you know, being like targeting people or like, because, you know, the weather obviously doesn't have a mind of its own. Um, but that's why, you know, climate change activism and work is so important to me is because, you know, if we stay on this continued path, these low income areas in the deep south are going to be getting hit a lot more and they don't have the resources to deal with it. Right. And um, and the whole thing, the whole thing with um, the separation of Dixie Alley and Tornado, tor Tornado Alley is that you're always going to see you're always going to see these um, these photo, these photogenic other ropes 
stovepipes, um, wedges, or even wedges in, in some cases, in these uh, in the central plains and even in the southern plains. And the whole thing right. with the deep south is that um, I've um, I've um, researched this a little bit and. I've noticed that uh, the deep south uh, tend to have more tornadoes that are that are rain wrapped and that are very difficult to see um, until it's too late. And it's not like the and the another thing is with the terrain in the deep south. It's not like the plains where it's just flatland and you can see the you you can see the storm from miles away. But with the with like Mississippi, Alabama, and all of those other adjacent states. Is their their terrain? They might have like a mountainous terrain. Uh, there are more hills and trees in part of central and central Alabama and parts of in parts of Mississippi. Um, and plus, combined with the tornadoes being rain wrapped in some cases, they won't know until it's literally right at their doorstep. So I so that is why um, Desi Alley is uh, more dangerous. Is more dangerous not only for um, from a chaser standpoint, but also from a um, just a regular resident during um, during like their uh, their severe weather season. And I've um, I've uh, looked into this that um, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, they have a they I wouldn't say a lot more. They tend to have uh, more violent. EF4 and EF5 tornadoes than in the than in the central in the central plains. Right. That, that makes it even even more dangerous combined with the fact that those torn those violent tornadoes are rain wrapped. I mean, heck, even I as rare as F5 uh, EF5s are, I mean, there've only been 59 recorded F5 F5 or EF5 tornadoes since 1950. Um but those those that like I'm just like complete I'm just worried that like um one of these days there's gonna be there's gonna be one of those storms that ends up um producing producing that um tornado that does a lot of damage to the to the low income areas and uh that and that's one of the things that we what we need to we need to do we need to get them uh, as prepared as possible and to of course the weather radio and have helmets on their in their storm shelter and uh, in addition to a bunch of other supplies so we can mitigate the loss of the amount of loss of life as possible in some cases um people got the warning with these outbreaks people got the warning did what they could took shelter um hunkered down and they still lost their life it was just their day to die. Um, they have their set day to live and their set day to die. It was just, it was just their day, and there's really not much you can do with that. And we also have to take into effect, take into, take that into account uh, whenever we're totaling, mm -hmm. we're researching what happened and are conducting autopsy studies and are um, doing death counts when, whenever, uh, in wake of these big days. Yeah, and it, it's, it's a scary reality you know that like you know I, I think something that might get lost among weather enthusiasts is that the true danger of these storms and stuff like that and the danger doesn't ever come from people who are you know or it's like it, it does occasionally but like most of the danger from tornadoes are not the people who are going out of their way to seek them it's the people who don't know they're coming you know and that's why 
as dangerous as storm chasing is, you rarely see storm chasing deaths or storm chasing injuries. In fact, I can only really name a couple ever that I can think of, but most of the damage comes from people who aren't aware of the weather and people who are just sitting in their homes, not realizing what could be coming towards them, you know? And so it's just, it's one of those like stark realities that like, there is a really great chance for casualties whenever you have tornadoes and it's it's something you always have to be prepared to see, you know, and, and be prepared to understand whenever you're dealing with severe weather. Um, but on a, uh, I guess on a, a, a happier note, I would say, um, I do kind of have just like one final question for you as we kind of wrap this up. But um, so obviously, you know, you mentioned that you're going to be a music major at um smu and that kind of stuff how do you see weather um continuing as a big presence in your life if it does continue a big presence in your life because you know um i'm sure as you go through college you'll continue student forecasting and stuff like that but eventually you know you'll go on to your job and stuff like that so how are you going to keep weather a big part of your life as you move on in the future or is that something that you even really know about yet um to i i know that weather is going to is always going to be in a a very big a very big part of uh of one of my characteristics um as a person because i mean i, I as much as social media forecasting can be irritating and busy at times i that type of business busyness um i absolutely love and i don't know how to live without so that being said i don't I don't know how long I'm going to continue continue doing this. Heck, I might even I might even do it like even through even through my professional job, whatever that might be. Um, right. But I, I I would I I would say that I would I would can I will continue doing it for the foreseeable future. And through doing it, I want to I want to um, reframe um, what. Um, I want to reframe um, the weather prepared, the weather preparedness, especially um, during severe weather here in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, because I, I there's not really an emphasis in uh, weather prepared preparedness here in North Tech in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth market. Um, just like yeah, just totally as an example of that, um, uh, remember the um, Garland Rowlett um, EF four on December twenty sixth, twenty fifteen. Yeah, that was that eleven was people died from uh, in in that tornado, and of those eleven people, nine of those people were in their cars. Why people right. driving um, whenever there's a tornado going through? And I don't think that we're doing a good job as a weather enterprise in the Dallas Fort Worth market of emphasizing the dangers of being in a tornado when they're when you are in your vehicle. And also uh, the uh, importance of having a helmet, and I mean that's a really good that's a really good note for the deep south. But that's those are also the the research that we've done for for the super or from the super outbreak are also principles that we um, need to uh, apply immediately to these to the central plains because while the deep south um, might get the most violent tornadoes of the, of um, of any given year. Uh, you still have that fair share of that in the central and southern plains. So um, during uh, in in my time continuing um, continuing forecasting, I want to I want to um, normalize um, 
making sure people know where they are on the map, uh, making sure people know, making sure people know where to go if in um in their home and not only in their home but if they're in the mo home where what business or building site built structure they they need to go to um whenever whenever they have a tornado warning and um the importance of having helmets air horns and um close and uh, clothes um closed sole shoes um, and during these um, during these uh, se- severe weather events, there's not a lot of emphasis on on that, and that's kind of like that's really the whole reason. Um, well, not whole reason per se, a really big reason of why I start uh, why I started Apex is to um, bring these same principles and these preparedness uh, strategies um, into in or kind of foster um, bringing these preparedness strategies into this region. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really, really great uh, motive to have, you know, because I think it's one of those things that, like, you think about where the tornado hotspots are, and and Dallas is considered in that tornado alley, and it's the largest city in a, in a tornado region, because you look at the cities that are bigger than it, Houston, New York, LA, Chicago, Chicago has its, you know, rare tornado every now and then, but Dallas is the only one of, you know, those major cities that is right in the heart of and right in the region of a pretty strong tornadic activity. And I think a lot of people have that kind of mindset that like cities are immune to tornadoes. But there have been plenty of times where Dallas and Dallas proper has been hit by a tornado. You look at the 2000 tornado that went through downtown Fort Worth Worth and scoured some of the buildings and got some of the damages to the um, the glass there. You look at even recent tornadoes in DFW, such as the one that happened in Arlington, um, just, you know, uh, November of last year. Um, you look at the October ones that happened, um, you know, through like uh, North Dallas and Richardson, and those were, you know, pretty intense tornadoes. And, you know, the, uh, the Rowlett tornado, like you just mentioned from 2015, all of those are out of season technically because all those happen you know later in the year but it's one of those things that like not only is the city not immune to tornadoes and stuff like that um especially just due to the high density of infrastructure i mean there's a decent chance that if a tornado touches down anywhere in the metroplex it's going to cross an interstate or it's going to cross a major highway and you might have people on that highway to where you know oh gosh like this is where we have a dangerous event um but not like not in addition to that Tornadoes can happen at any time of the year in DFW. Like genuinely, they can happen in October, November, December, March, May, April, any time. And any time that happens, like you know, you have to be prepared. And you know, the city doesn't have a bubble over it. Well, we've been lucky to where we haven't had the same things that OKC has had to face with, you know, some of the El Reno tornadoes or with the more tornadoes and stuff like that. Dallas is only two and a half hours south of it. They are, we are in just as good of a position, even if not a better position, just because of some of the flatness around us to where a major tornado event can happen. And so I, I think, you know, just because we've gotten lucky and just because we are in a major city does not mean you can't have a weather preparedness plan. And it doesn't mean you can't be weather aware. Right. And a lot of people are really on, a lot of people don't really know this, but like really, they're really on tap um, to the severe weather season and and uh, the typical uh, March, April, March, April, and May. Um, but right. I, um, I firmly believe that 
um, we here, and especially here in North Texas or Texas in general, um, we have a late severe weather season that tends to happen in October, uh, some portions of, of uh, mid to late October, and then n- November into December. Um, I, right. I, I am really, I really do believe that um, that late severe weather season um, can can also be another um, strong um, tr- tornado produce a, a really strong tornado producer. Uh, yeah, it may produce still produce hail, but it, they are that late severe weather season like i mentioned um they those season that season really does um do a good job of producing torn uh producing uh tornadic uh storms then i would say then i would say a regular severe weather season because like here um because here in dallas fort worth um especially denton collin counties some portions of rockwall and northern dallas county that's a very famous hail corridor as we've learned over the past oh yeah over the past yeah, especially collin county especially <laughs> collin county um and of course you still get those tornado events from um from that but of course not not as common but the late severe weather season um is also a season where uh we always have to be we have to be on the lookout um for torn for um tornadic activity yeah i totally agree yeah um yeah and and especially with the way this year is shaping up to be this is looks to be a pretty active year for severe storms and uh, i'm excited to you know do some forecasting with you you know, and uh, I'm excited that, you know, Apex is now into the OKC area, although minimally, but I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I I very much am, you know, grateful just for what you've done, at least, you know, for my forecasting abilities. And then also just for the entire DFW Metroplex area with being able to provide not only consistent forecasting, but also, you know, a weather aware, weather preparedness mindset to everything. And, and it's, I always really enjoy seeing your takes on events and what you have to do with everything. Um, and I also very much loved everything you said, you know, during this podcast, this was, you know, I, I very much agree with a lot of these points and stuff like that. And, and I always really enjoy hearing you talk about this stuff. Thank you, Colin. So it's, it's a, it's a ple- it was a pleasure being on this, um, on, on this podcast like i said it's been it's been years since it's been like almost half a decade since i had done one of these and like i thought i was going to be out of um out out of color but of course i've done a lot of research in in that time and um i gotta start start doing these more often but um uh, very kind very very kind of what you said very very kind yeah but hey this is only our third podcast so we still don't really know what we're not (laughs) (laughs) we just we like talking about things, whether or not. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, you want to plug any of your stuff, you know, so the viewers can come look at your pages. Oh yeah, so uh, my um, so you can find me uh, Apex. Um, you can find me on Facebook, a- Apex Storm, uh, Dallas Fort Worth Weather Authority. I really have to change that because we're in Oklahoma, uh, we're in um, Central Oklahoma now. Uh, but you can find find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter at um, Dono WX, and um, you can find Colin on Twitter at Welty WX. I believe I got that right. And yeah. um, and you can always um, you can if you're indie.
If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth region, you can text text at Apex Storm to 81010. Daily um, daily weather forecasts and of course uh, weather warnings um, anywhere in the region. Also, you can um, you can also do the same thing if you're in the Oklahoma City or in Southern Oklahoma or even in the Stillwater area. Um, you can um, get uh, text message forecasts uh, daily. You can text at Apex OKC to eight one zero one zero. Exactly. Anyway, so yeah, really appreciate having you on here um, a whole bunch. And I wish you the best of luck for the uh, rest of the severe season and the rest of the year moving forward, too. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. I just want to thank Donovan Neal for coming on. That was an amazing, amazing interview. I had a really good time and I definitely hope to have him back on again. Um before we close out this podcast, I just want to say, go check out our Chase video on Sauscore. It has been posted, and it was amazing to make, and it took a while, so I'd love, you know, if you guys share it, you know, like it, even subscribe. I know that not everybody subscribes, and I understand YouTube's, you know, you don't have to always watch, but if you are interested in my podcast and you want to be interested in the rest of the Sauscore content, Go give us a subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on suscore.wx on Instagram and suscore.wx on Twitter. And I just want to wish you guys that you guys have a great week. And enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.